Hello, everyone. Welcome to A Voluntary View. I'm Jeff from VIA, and joining me today is a very special guest, Mrs. Carrie McDonald. Carrie is a big advocate for school choice and school freedom. She's written a couple books, including this one that we have, Unschooled. It's, it's weird. It's weird. Anyway, and she writes for the Foundation for Economic Education about school choice, school freedom. So we're very excited to have you on the show, Carrie. Thanks so much for joining us. Oh, I'm glad to be here, Jeff. Thanks for inviting me. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So now we've got, we've got you here as an expert on this, but I think nobody starts out because of the pervasiveness of public education, just automatically believing that, oh, homeschooling, that's the way to go because public education is so ubiquitous. So how did you come to the viewpoint that you currently hold? Yeah, you know, it it really began um, a couple of decades ago. I was an undergraduate uh, economics major uh, and really became interested in education as a way of applying economic thinking. Uh, so, you know, even though economics was my degree, I started taking more education classes in college. And my senior year of college, I had a chance to do a um, independent research project on a topic of my choice. And I was really interested at that point in uh, education innovation and education alternatives. Um, again, thinking about this from an economics perspective and the fact that compulsory mass schooling was sort of this monopoly uh, the situation for most families, most families didn't have a lot of choice. Uh, and I was looking at, you know, sort of what other options were available at the time. And this was in the late 1990s. So education choice really um, hadn't gained its its foothold the way it, I think, has, thankfully, um, throughout the 21st century. So it was great to be able uh, that semester to shadow a homeschooling family uh, that lived nearby. And uh, homeschooling had just become legally recognized a few years before I did my research. Um, it, by the mid-1990s, homeschooling was legally recognized in all 50 states. And 1998 was the first year that the U.S. Federal Department of Education began tracking homeschoolers in any significant way, and they counted 850,000 at that point. So really still uh, a small movement and a, and a relatively tiny group of families. But that time, uh, shadowing this homeschooling family, I was just blown away at uh, this other way of learning outside of a conventional classroom. I had attended public K-12 schools. Uh, I thought that was just the way it was. That was the way that you would be educated. And then to see um, this other really remarkable way of being educated tied to this child's interests, really focused on her passions, and with full authentic immersion in her larger community, sort of the larger social experiences of one's uh, neighborhood and, and larger uh, community seemed really um, just fascinating to me. And I, uh, that those sort of images sort of stuck with me, particularly because at the same time I was doing a, a student teaching practicum in a local public elementary school with the same grade students uh, as yeah, this homeschool children. Mm -hmm. And yeah, yeah, so having it sort of side by side, I was really able to see up close this contrast between the kind of command and control environment that you 
that I was familiar with and that I, that certainly we would all recognize as uh, K to 12 public schooling and this different way of learning that was really um, non-coercive and, um, and much deeper and much more, um, I think much more enriching and engaging uh, and meaningful. So that was really um, kind of my introduction to homeschooling. I then went um, to get a master's degree in education policy at Harvard, became increasingly interested in school choice and education policy. And then it was about a decade later when I was looking at education options for my own family and my own young children that I sort of revisited homeschooling this time as a parent, not just as a researcher, uh, and really felt like it was the best fit for our family, um, mainly because, you know, we live in Boston, Massachusetts, and Cambridge. And I felt that if I had sent my kids to school, their world would contract. Um, and I write about this a little bit in the book as well, that, you know, they, in their young, younger years, had, you know, such a um, immersion in our city and in all of these wonderful experiences. And that if I had sent them to school, they would be with the same sort of age segregated group of kids and the same static handful of teachers in the same building doing a standardized curriculum every day. And uh, it just didn't seem to be nearly um, as kind of high quality uh, and fulfilling as this, you know, really sort of immersive interest-based learning learning that they were doing uh, outside of a conventional school. Mm-hmm. Wow. My, I had kind of a similar, similar experience. I went K through six with the public school. It was right down the road from our house. So it made it really easy. But there weren't, the high schools around were not very good. So my parents said, should we send them to these high schools that are kind of awful or should we just see what you can do at home? And thankfully, they went for the latter. And so I got you (laughs) did more or less my own thing. It was was more like unschooling than homeschooling, to be honest. They didn't have like a written curriculum to follow or anything like that. And I was I was grateful they did that because, you know, you hear horror stories about high school and I didn't want any part of that. But I mean, it clearly didn't uh, didn't hurt me. I took the ACT and passed no problem and then went to college and got an undergraduate degree and then a master's degree in science. So clearly was no worse for it, but great. And, but of course that's, you know, that's just your experience and my experience, but there are a lot of people who are on the fence, you know, they hear good things about homeschool, but then, you know, there's public school, it's everywhere. They also hear bad things about homeschool. So anecdotal evidence is okay, but what, you say you were into research, you did some research on it. What does the research say? Is homeschool really better on average than public school? Well, um, I think one of the most robust pieces of research recently done um, was a um, literature review done by Lindsay Burke at the Heritage Foundation where, you know, she found that the academic outcomes of homeschool students are, you know, really positive, and in some cases, higher than conventionally schooled children. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's probably not surprising, because we know in education outcomes more generally, uh, parent involvement has a huge impact. Uh, so it wouldn't, you know, be surprising that homeschool students who do have that kind of close family interaction and families, you know, parents who are, you know, certainly really 
concerned about and focused on making sure their children are getting the highest quality education possible, it's not surprising that then those outcomes would be positive as it would be with involved parents in any kind of school setting. Um, other research also shows that homeschooled students end up, you know, going attending college at similar rates and doing just fine in college and having positive career outcomes. You know, we can talk a little bit about the distinction between homeschooling and unschooling, um, some of the research on unschoolers in particular, and these are people who sort of learn in a more self-directed way uh, without necessarily being tied to a packaged curriculum, without um, families replicating school at home like traditional versions of homeschooling might do. Um, research on grown unschoolers that has been conducted by um, Peter Gray, who's a psychology professor at Boston College, who writes the foreword to my unschooled book, uh, he found that unschooled students, again, go to college in similar rates. They do quite well in college. Um, many of them take community college classes during the high school years and do just fine. So they already have that sort of introduction to um, higher education and are able to, in many cases, transfer credits. And one of the really interesting findings from his survey of grown unschoolers was that more than half of the um, people that he researched were working as entrepreneurs uh, in fields that were connected to interests that they began cultivating in childhood or adolescence. Hmm. That is really interesting because that's stuff that they probably wouldn't have been exposed to or allowed to pursue, definitely not to that extent in the public school system. They've got, this is what we're going to learn. And if you don't learn it, you're not smart. But that clearly was not the case for those children. Right. And I think not even that, I mean, I think for sure that's part of it. But I think the other piece is, is that you just, uh, with homeschooling or unschooling or any kind of schooling alternative, you have that, that time, that freedom, um, you're able to have a much broader perspective, I think, on um, life and on pathways to adulthood that are not kind of tied to these strict academic silos or these, um, you know, expectations that we think of in terms of a, a typical conventional school schedule and uh, curriculum. Mm-hmm. Now, however, I mean, that's, it's okay for, for you and me to say that. I mean, we've been to college, we have master's degrees. What if we're talking about someone who maybe doesn't have a lot of education? Maybe they barely graduated from high school themselves. And they're thinking, I, I'm nobody, I can't teach my kids anything. What about, what do you say to that person? Um, well, I do think it's interesting to note because sometimes, uh, particularly over the past year, and I know we're going to get into some discussion about how homeschooling has changed during the COVID-19 response, but it's interesting to note that even pre-pandemic, uh, homeschoolers were on average less affluent than um, parents of conventionally schooled children. So sometimes there's a stereotype that, uh, you know, homeschoolers, you know, have this abundance of privilege, and that's why they're able to pull their kids out to homeschool them. And this was a criticism during the pandemic response when parents were uh, opting out of district schools for homeschooling and creating these pandemic pods or these small learning communities in their homes. They say, oh, you know, see, these families have all of these resources. And in fact, again, pre-pandemic, 
homeschoolers less affluent than average. And then Education Week came out with a, a research study in November confirming that the, the families that had chosen homeschooling during um, the school shutdowns and the pandemic response last academic year were also uh, lower income than average. So, you know, I think that's just one piece of it um, that I just wanted to sort of point out because I think it does challenge this idea that you somehow have to be, you know, affluent or privileged in order to, to do this. In fact, homeschooling is becoming increasingly reflective of the overall American society uh, in terms of demographic diversity. Um, so all of that said, I think that the, the point really to emphasize and that I try to make in my unschooled book is that, um, you know, well, I guess let me back up and just say first that if, if a parent is saying, gee, you know, I'm not sure that I, uh, you know, have the full skill set to be able to educate my child, they should kind of step back a minute and say, well, I went through that system. So if I don't feel <laughs> that I'm able to educate my children <laughs> adequately, then what does that say about the education I got? But I'll just put throw that out there first. But but the, the larger point is that um, there are just so many resources around us, particularly now with uh, the abundance of um, technological resources available and online learning programs and resources for families, many of which are free or low cost, so that the expectation that you have to be a, as a parent sitting around a kitchen table, um, going through workbooks and teaching through a lesson plan, I'm not sure that was ever really true, but it's certainly not true in 2021. And let me just give you an example, because you'll often hear critics say, well, how do you think you're ever going to teach your kid calculus, for example? And, and I would say, I don't, you know, um, even though, you know, I went to Harvard, my husband has a graduate degree in MIT, we probably could pull it off. The reality is that there are these wonderful uh, online math programs that teach calculus to our kids. Another example is that my older daughter, who's 14, um, has been taking Korean language classes with a native Korean speaker for the past three years. So here's a perfect example. I don't know Korean. No one in our family knows Korean. So I clearly wasn't going to be able to teach my child Korean. I am simply the connector. And I discovered that she was interested in this and she wanted more resources on this. Um, interestingly, her uh, curiosity about Korean language and culture came from her experience in martial arts training and, and really wanting to dig deeper into that, um, into that experience and that exposure. And so then she started with some basic online language classes through duolingo.com that some of your listeners might be familiar with, which is a free online language learning software. And then she wanted something more rigorous. So again, for the past several years, she's been meeting three times a week um, with a, a native Korean speaker and is, is really doing quite well, um, well on her way to fluency. So uh, there are so many um, available opportunities for homeschooling families nowadays that the, the fear that you wouldn't be able to educate your own children. Um, it shouldn't be something stopping you. Wow. That's fantastic. I mean, I think you're right. Everything, the realization that you don't have to do everything yourself. You can take a more community-based approach. The fact that there are free resources, that there are people who help. I think we're starting, what well, we always have, our education initiative fundraiser to try to help out folks who you know, really don't have enough money, even for the little things that they may need. There's Corey, Corey Dan, D'Angeli. D'Angelis. D'Angelis, yeah. yeah. Yes, I don't know how to yes. Say his name. He's pushing for you know, the money that the government uses to fund public schools to follow the children and fund the children instead of the school. So there's, there's a lot of stuff 
that all combines to make it very possible, I think, for homeschooling to happen. And now, unschooling specifically, though, much more unstructured. And I think to people who, especially people who grew up with public schooling, and you know, you've you got to do this, you've got to do this lesson, and you got to finish your homework, giving children that much freedom can be really unnerving. And what what would you say to people who say, for example, oh, my, my children, they're just gonna, they're just gonna play video games all day unless I unless I make them do these lessons and learn these things? Yeah. So a few things I, I define unschooling in the book as really disentangling education from schooling, including school at home versions of homeschooling. Um, so it's really looking at, you know, schooling is one method to be educated. Uh, it's certainly the most dominant method, but it's not the only method. And I argue not the preferred method uh, for the realities of the 21st century when, you know, we are um, relying really on human creativity and curiosity, ingenuity, and an entrepreneurial spirit to distinguish human intelligence from artificial intelligence. Uh, and yet it's often creativity and curiosity that get uh, replaced by a focus on conformity and uh, obedience in in schools, uh, in conventional classrooms. Uh, so really with unschooling, it just says, you know, young people, children before they enter school are naturally curious. They are always asking why and always eager to explore and discover their world. And the idea with unschooling is let's just not turn off those sort of natural drives for learning and discovery. Let's allow that to continue. Let's foster that, cultivate that, facilitate that. And then as adults, we connect those young people uh, and their interests and their passions to, again, the available resources around them, which very often includes um, classes and lesson plans and curriculum and mentors and instructors, um, many of which are very formal, but it's just uh, really challenging this idea of sort of top-down education and instead focusing on much more of a bottom-up, um, self-directed uh, process of learning and discovery. Um, and so that, you know, that's, a, I think, a key, a key piece of of unschooling. Um, you know, we can get into more detail about it, but in the book, I really highlight uh, young people that are learning this way, as well as unschooled alumni and their reflections on their path of learning in a more unstructured and formal way. And then I traveled around the country highlighting the education entrepreneurs creating the learning spaces that encourage self-directed education, like self-directed learning centers and homeschool resource programs and co-ops and so on. Wow. So growing from the people who already had that experience. Exactly. Neat. I like how it focuses more on on a broader education instead of just schooling and learning these subjects. Uh, personal but, it, but Jeff, if I can just ma mention one more important yeah. thing, and I, I do make it clear in the book, and I try to make it clear in all my interviews is that I think, um, and, I, and I say very explicitly, it's up to parents to make sure that their children are highly educated, that they're highly literate and highly numerate, and that they have the skills essential for um, success in this modern world. And I argue that this is true, whether your kids are schooled or not schooled, um, that it's up to parents to make sure your kids are learning and are being well educated. And if they're not, then it's up to you as the parent to decide uh, how to get them the education that they need and deserve. Mm, good perspective. So not not kind of pushing that responsibility off either onto the child or onto the public school system. For sure. Yeah. It's uh, 
personal experience regarding the the unschooling and kind of that uh, that fear that can come oh they're not doing what what I think they should be doing is you never know what children are learning from what they're doing even when they're just playing uh, my son my oldest son he's seven he's always loved music he takes after his grandfather in that regard on his mom's side but um, he there's this YouTube musician his uh, acapella his name is or at least his uh, screen name is Smooth McGroove. <laughs> and he does he does a lot of video game music and uh, especially a lot of Zelda music. My son loves that. And he records each of the different parts of the music. He does them all himself and he has all of the videos and audio on the screen at the same time. So it makes the, the full piece of music. And uh, the other day he was listening to it, like the Zelda playlist, over and over and over for I think it was, it was at least three hours I kept asking him do you want to do something else you can do this no no I'm listening yeah okay yeah. and then later that day I uh I picked up uh, my ocarina I played this kind of flute and I started playing just some of the main the main melodies of the songs that he had been listening to earlier and he started doing all of the background pieces along with me. It's like, what? I don't even hear those most of the time when I'm listening to the music. But he he was learning and thinking about it the whole time when I just saw him sitting on the couch. Yeah. And that, that ability to get so deeply immersed in something you're really passionate about, as opposed to being interrupted every, you know, 40 minutes to go on to something else, I think is such a gift, particularly for young children when, um, you know, they are really interested and curious about things at different times and different ways. And then eventually it all sort of comes together. And that's one of the points that I make in the unschooled book is that um, the kind of learning that happens in school is very linear. The kind of learning that can happen outside of school is much more circuitous, um, but can be much deeper and more meaningful um, mm-hmm. for the young person. Yeah, that's a great story. Yeah, that's similar, similar to that. Another story talking about bringing it all together and things branching out. Again, my oldest, he's always loved spinning for some reason. I don't know why he loves spinning around strings mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. bands. And so I thought, well, well, let's take this. Let's run with this. What else spins? And so I thought about it and I made a list of things that I could teach him, you know, really basic stuff about spinning. Well, electricity spins through a circuit mm-hmm. and air spins through a house in the HVAC system. Your blood mm-hmm. spins through your body. Yes. You heart pumping it. Water spins around the earth in the water cycle. The earth spins around the sun from that uh, love of spinning can branch out. We did branch out into the basics of all kinds of different stuff that probably wouldn't have never thought to teach him otherwise. But now he knows the basics of how circuits work and all kinds of stuff. Wonderful. And in a way that's really going to resonate and, and be retained by him as opposed to some, you know, random lesson um, that someone else decided that was part of a curriculum created by, you know, education bureaucrats somewhere uh, that on this day, a child would learn about this particular aspect of spinning and would have no meaning to that particular child, whereas your son will really be able to make those connections and have much more deeper learning as a result. Mm, I hope so. Hope so. But um, speaking of bureaucrats, 
So of course the last the last year and a half, even the standard public school stuff has been very, very disrupted, in some cases stopped completely by this pandemic that the government has pushed on people. Right. So what what's your perspective on all of that school-wise? We haven't paid too much attention to the public school aspect because our kids aren't in public school, but you deal with that all the time. Right. Yeah. So when the school closures began in March of 2020 and everyone uh, was had their work and life and learning disrupted at the peak, we had 50 million U.S. school children suddenly learning at home. Um, over a billion worldwide students were displaced from classrooms at the height of the shutdowns in the spring of 2020. Um, and of course, that wasn't what we would consider authentic homeschooling. That was, you know, sort of crisis homeschooling or pandemic homeschooling. In most cases, simply um, changing the location of school from uh, a public school classroom to uh, over Zoom yeah, on in someone's home. So, so not what we would think of homeschooling, but I do think that one of the first indications I had that things might be shifting um, in uh, parents becoming empowered, maybe thinking a little bit differently about education uh, was a survey that was done in April of 2020, one of the first surveys of parents done by EdChoice that found that more than half of parents had a more favorable view of homeschooling uh, in light of the school shutdowns than they did pre-pandemic. Uh, and I thought, gosh, you know, if parents think this type of crisis learning or whatever you wanted to call it was good. Um, just imagine the real thing, you know, when we were actually be, would be able to be immersed in our communities and be around other people and, and taking classes and connecting uh, socially. So that was an interesting first uh, uh, inclination that, that maybe um, things would be changing with education over the 2020, 2021 academic year. And sure enough, that's what happened. We saw, according to U.S. Census Bureau data, tripling of the homeschooling rate uh, during last academic year from pre-pandemic levels so that now we have over 11% of U.S. K-12 students being homeschooled, over five and a half million kids. Um, and again, that was a tripling from pre-pandemic levels. And the largest driver, according to the U.S. Census Bureau, of that leap in homeschooling last year uh, was Black homeschooling families that had a five-fold increase uh, in their homeschooling rate from the spring of 2020 to the fall of 2020. Uh, and to the point that now black homeschoolers are overrepresented in the homeschooling population compared to their overall representation, uh, black students, overall representation in the K to 12 public school oh, population. Um, and be, I think it's really funny because you always hear oh, we, we've got to keep the public schools. What are those poor underprivileged minorities going to do if we don't have these public schools? Right. Yeah. And you had just a lot of families um, and particularly, you know, um, urban families whose schools were shut down the longest uh, and who maybe saw, you know, up close how much of a disaster district Zoom schooling could be for their kids. And they said, we're not doing this. You know, we're going to pull our kids out. We can give them a better education um, and do things ourselves, particularly using really good high quality online resources, um, as well as, you know, just uh, being present for our kids and helping to guide them through their learning. Uh, and I think that, that that partly, you know, had to do with parents really getting a close up look 
perhaps for the first time of what their kids were actually learning or not learning uh, in their classrooms as a result of district Zoom schooling in the spring of 2020. And so it's really been a remarkable year and a half, I think, of uh, parent re-empowerment, parents feeling once again that they can take the reins of their children's education uh, from government bureaucrats, from teachers' unions that really actively worked to keep schools shut down for long periods of time. Uh, and parents were able to, to say, no, you know, there are other ways that my kid can learn. Maybe they were families who had been intrigued by the idea of homeschooling for a while, but kind of lacked the catalyst to give it a try. Or maybe just the fact that schools were closed prompted families to really um, investigate other ways of being educated. You know, they, they had that that external force that finally, you know, enabled them to say, gee, district schooling, my government assigned school isn't the only game in town. It might not be the best one. Um, maybe they saw, you know, private schools that were able to reopen full time and in person. And they said, you know, why are they able to do that? But the public school isn't. Uh, and, and then kind of looked at some of the um, you know, political factions that that led to that. Um, but overall, I think it's just been an, a great year for parent empowerment, for support for school choice, which we also see skyrocketing, uh, and for education innovation. Hmm. Excellent. So it's been a good it's been a good year as far as that goes. But what do you see for the future? Looking ahead, yeah. you see yeah. those things continuing or. I do. You know, if you had asked me um, maybe even a month ago, <laughs> but certainly last spring, if you had asked me what I what I thought would happen this fall, I would have said there would have been a dip in um, that jump in homeschooling that we saw last year because we do have schools planning to reopen for full-time in-person learning this fall. Uh, and so even though I, I would have said homeschooling would stay elevated, I, I would think that there would, there would be a decline. I no longer think that. Uh, in fact, I think this year might, um, might even challenge last year in terms of homeschooling numbers. We're seeing uh, school districts reimposing mask mandates for all students and staff, regardless of vaccination status. We're seeing um, continued social distancing requirements and frequent coronavirus testing of students and staff, um, again, following CDC guidelines. And I think a lot of parents are just not ready for that. Uh, they don't want their children to be subjected to all-day mask wearing and uh, all of these other pandemic policies. And now they have glimpsed all of these other options for their kids. So I, I do think parents either will continue homeschooling or new parents will um, choose homeschooling or some other sorts of private education alternatives um, because they're not happy with this. They see that this coming academic year is going to be just as uncertain and unsettling as the last. Uh, we're already seeing inklings in various uh, articles that I've been reading saying, you know, parents need to prepare for periodic school shutdowns, depending on coronavirus cases. On Friday, uh, I just saw that um, CNN reported a, a charter, public charter school in Atlanta opened on Tuesday. And by Friday, more than 100 students were in quarantine for possible exposure to the coronavirus. Uh, and exposure, <laughs> <possible> exposure. <laughs> and, you know, so four days school is in session and already there's this tremendous disruption. And I think parents are just going to say, you know, my, my kids deserve better than this. We'll find another way. Yeah. Especially in light of, I mean, the, of course, you don't hear a lot of the research on the mainstream media that's, that's against all this stuff. You don't hear that 
the research on masks is very, very mixed at best, whether they make any difference. You don't hear that children are vanishingly, vanishingly small risk of getting sick from the coronavirus, and that households who have children, it actually seems to confer a protective effect to the adults in the family. Having children in the household, they're at less risk, the adults are at less risk from getting, of catching the coronavirus. And that's what they don't want people, I don't know if they don't, can't impute motives, you know, maybe they're just leaving it out um, because they forgot, but they're not telling the whole picture, at the very least, in the mainstream media and what, like you say, the CDC is putting out. And what was it, the uh, it the American Pediatric? The American Academy of Pediatrics, Academy of yes. Pediatrics. There it is. Yeah. yeah. Putting out, recommending that all children two and up wear right. a mask right. all the time they're at school, even though they're at almost no risk. It's like exactly. 0.000, lots of zeros, and then a one. The, I think more especially if that becomes more and more well-known, parents are going to think, I don't think that that is worth it for my children. And like you said, one more nudge toward the edge of getting them out of the public school system. And I'll just handle this for my child, myself. Right. You know, and we see, uh, I've seen interviews with um, public health officials who almost seem giddy at the idea of sort of continued masking in perpetuity because they are sort of thinking, oh, you know, we we could limit respiratory viruses all the time if we just mask kids up in schools, you know, for an, an indefinite period. Um, and, you know, really, what are the consequences of that? Um, you know, so so I don't think this is going away. I think these policies are going to be with us in some form or another for quite a long time. Uh, and I think now is the time parents are realizing that that they have other options and they're taking advantage of those options. Mm, definitely agree. And I hope I hope more and more people realize that not only in school, but about the rest of the things that the government does generally, especially with this pandemic stuff. Is this is this really what's best for me, for society, for everyone? I hope more and more people start to wonder that instead of just accepting what the quote-unquote experts tell them. Yeah, and I think now is the time um, to be outspoken about that as new mask mandates come back into various cities and certainly in certain school districts, uh, mandating masks for students this year as there's sort of a threat of additional restrictions and, and potential lockdowns going forward. I think now is the time to really push back against that and say, you know, no, we're we're done with that. That was devastating for communities, for individuals, families, small businesses. Um, they didn't work and we need to move ahead and, and manage uh, living with this virus. I agree 100%, 100%. No, well, turning it back to, back to the schooling. And we've talked about a lot, of, a lot of great stuff about how homeschooling can be done, unschooling possible, even if you didn't think so before. So you have any... I guess any final thoughts or pieces of advice for people who are who are still on that fence? Should I homeschool? Should I not? 
Well, I, I would suggest um, taking a look at my new ebook that I just published uh, this spring called The 2021 Curious Parents Guide to Education Options, really timely focused on this moment uh, in dealing with the, the impact of pandemic policies and all of the new options that have sprouted for families as a result. Um, that's a free ebook available to download at fee.org, the Foundation for Economic Education, where I'm a senior fellow. Um, so that would be a good resource. And then for families um, considering homeschooling or wondering about what the next step would be to take the plunge, my recommendation is always to visit local um, community networks of homeschoolers. And typically there's success with um, local Facebook groups, you know, put into Facebook your location and homeschooling and see what pops up. And typically these um, these sort of grassroots organizations and just informal community networks are able to um, share resources and be embracing these homeschool Facebook groups around the country have seen their numbers swell, obviously, over the past year uh, and usually are really um, excited to welcome new families and to offer whatever kinds of insights are possible. They can connect families to various curriculum and activities and social interactions and regulations uh, and help them get started. Mm, that's a really great point. We found we found some of those locally as well. Again, just by searching on your web browser of choice yes. to be able to find, you know, and you don't know if you don't look. And that's the main thing. If you just assume ah, I can't do it, well, then that's going to be the case. But if you actually take the steps, take that initiative, you never know what's possible. That's right. And I, and I will also say that, um, you know, that we there was this sort of um, burgeoning micro school movement that was gaining traction prior to the pandemic response these sort of multi-age one-room schoolhouse types of models that typically were home-based that either involved um, parents sharing education responsibilities with other families or more often um, pooling resources to hire a teacher or teachers or some facilitator. And so that was gaining traction pre-pandemic. And now it's sort of morphed into the term pandemic pod or learning pods that have really um, soared in popularity over the past year and a half. And so there's, again, those opportunities, and there are even Facebook groups for families trying to connect with other families to form these learning pods in local areas or uh, curious about how to start their own and bring other families into it. So this isn't uh, a solo endeavor. There are so many um, social community and online resources for families. So I, I, hadn't, I don't think I've heard about the pandemic pods before it sounds like it's just a small like almost a homeschooling group exactly it's sort of a modern pandemic twist on um, the time-honored homeschool co-op but it really came onto the scene um, in July of 2020 last year as parents realized that their schools were going to be shut down and uh, they weren't going to go back to normal and so they scrambled to connect with other families in local areas these Facebook groups sprouted and uh, families were able to find other families and again either hire a teacher or a babysitter or take turns uh, having their kids have these kind of small safe social interactions in many cases these pods uh, were formed for with families who knew their school was going 
going to stay remote, but they wanted their kids to have some social interaction and not just be, you know, independently looking at a screen disconnected from friends. Um, so they kind of got together in these pods and did district Zoom schooling together. Um, but again, still tied to the local public school. So there was that model, but there were also, you know, families who did exit the school system for homeschooling and then formed these, these uh, cooperatives. That's, that's fantastic. Cause I think, I think the paradigm people get stuck in is I can do the public school or an expensive private school. And those are really my only options, but it's as, it seems like it's almost as varied as people want to make it. Absolutely. And, and one of the things I try to emphasize too, is I really hope that uh, because district zoom schooling has been, you know, really a failure for a lot of students and, and subpar um, for the rest. Uh, I, I hope that families realize that, that that's the model of kind of public schooling at home that um, isn't great, but there are some tremendous online private learning resources that were built to be online programming um, that have educators who were trained and eager to, to teach this way uh, that have curriculum that's designed for remote learning. So there are also these wonderful online learning resources. So don't get turned off because Zoom school, you know, didn't meet your expectations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just taking the already bad model of the public school and just making it remote. <laughs> exactly. Make, make it any better. Yeah. Right, right. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Carrie. I'm happy to hear about your, your book the new ebook 2021 is a curious curious parents guide to education options and you can find that on my website at fee which is fee.org slash carry excellent i'm going to link to both of those in the notes for this episode and again written unschooled raising curious well-educated children outside the conventional classroom another great book so i'm not going to link to that one you have to you have to go buy that one but definitely worth it. So thank you very much, Carrie, for spending some time with us today to talk about these great options for raising the next generation who is really ready for the struggles of the world. Oh, thanks, Jeff. It was great to be with you. You have a great day. You too. Thanks. Thank you so much for watching this video. If you like what we do here, please like, share, subscribe, comment, and go over to our website where you can offer donations, request help, help us help people who are in need voluntarily. And we'll see you next time.